1 John. Now, that's not the gospel of John. Remember, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But then at the end of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation, are little epistles, little letters written by uh, the apostle John. And that, we're studying the first of those together. And we're in chapter 1, verse 8, and we're going to read together through chapter 2, verse 2. And this is the classic bad news good news passage. And the bad news is really, really bad. And the good news is really, really good. So pay attention to the Word of God. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So far, the reading of God's Word. And you can see in your outline there, four points. Number one, God does not want you to sin. Number two, don't deceive yourself. You do sin. Number three, if you experience conviction of sin, what should you do? We'll talk about that from the text. And finally, then go with Jesus to the Father. The first thing that, I, that jumps off the page at me here is that, that first verse in chapter 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. God does not want you and does not want me to sin. Why? What's the big deal? Well, the answer to that question depends on how you see sin. Is sin something that's troublesome? Like uh, a pimple. This poor girl, she's not sure she can go out. She's got this bothersome pimple. It's a trouble, but, you know, you get a little clearer cell and maybe you can take care of it. Maybe it's a little problem. Or maybe, oh, maybe it's a big problem. It's a big pimple. And now you're really upset. But, but, but the problem, the problem is still just troublesome, you know. Is that how you look at sin? It might be a little problem or it might be a big trouble, but you know, you can take care of it topically. Little willpower, little uh, makeup, and you, you can get by. Or is sin more like this? What is this? This is an x-ray of the lungs, and you can see there on the right-hand side the tumor there in the lungs filled with cancer. How do you see sin? You see, 
your opinion of what sin is like. It might just be like a pimple, a bit troublesome and annoying, but not that big a deal. I'll get over it. Or do you understand two things? That sin is an offense to God and sin is deadly for you. And if you understand those two things, then you're going to understand sin is not just like a pimple. Sin is like a tumor. It is like cancer. Some people don't like the word uh, sin. They can't, they, they're very uncomfortable with it. And some people can't use the word cancer. Isn't it interesting? Have you met someone? They, they don't speak of cancer. They speak of the C word. People don't like the word sin. In fact, one Sunday morning about a year and a half ago, we had a guest, and I was leading worship, and the song led us to confess that we were a fellowship of sinners, and I wanted to say, welcome, welcome all, all of us who are sinners here into the house of God. And, you know, um, after the service, the, guy, the guest came up to my wife, and he said, I'll not be back here. Your husband called me a sinner. And I'm offended by that. And he didn't come back. I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to offend him. But what did he know? What did he not know about himself? Sin is an offense to God. Last week we studied the passage that said, For God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. God is pure. Moms and dads, the most important thing you can do for your children is to teach them the awe of God, to have a sense of His holiness, of His purity, of His glory, of His goodness, His essential goodness, that is, that in His essence, God is love. In His essence, God is light and beauty, and God is just. And it's a beautiful justice, and it is a glorious, wonderful thing to see God for who He is. And in Him there is no darkness at all. Then you know sin is not like a pimple. Sin is like a cancerous tumor. Sin is, number one, an offense to God, but secondly, sin is bad for you. Did you know that? Because sometimes we think, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. When you lie... When you tell a lie, do you know what that makes you? It makes you a liar. And when you steal, you know what that does? It makes you a thief. And when you commit adultery, you know what that makes you? An adulterer. It's systemic. It's metastasized through you. It's systemic. It, it's all through you. That's why David says in Psalm 51, Wash me. Cleanse me. Because he knows that he is stained inside. Cleanse me from the inside, he says. Because I'm a mess. Sin is an offense to God. But number two, point number two, don't deceive yourself. You do sin, and it's right there in the text, 
If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is really interesting. Last week we saw that God actually called people liars. Parents, you don't let your kids just run around saying, you're a liar, you're a liar. You know, that's rude. We don't treat people like that. But actually, the Apostle John does. And he's very concerned about the truth. And at this point, God does not want us to make Him a liar. Think about it. Romans 6.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if you walk around saying, well, not me, I didn't sin, John says you're calling God a liar. The book of James says we all stumble in many ways. Not me. I've got it perfectly together. I'm all together. I am so cool. And God says, you calling me a liar? Instead, John says something very unflattering. And again, maybe there's someone here today like that gentleman who never came back. God says, you deceive yourself if you think you're not a sinner. We can't see it in ourselves. Why not? Because we ignore it. We excuse it or we shift the blame. At least I'm talking about myself. I ignore my sin, I excuse my sin, or I blame someone else for it. And I'm really good at all three. Here's how it works. Here's, how, here's what happens. If you work 40, 50, 60 hours a week and you're in the office, you know what you're like? You're polite. You work hard and you're a good example for the other colleagues. You're helpful. You do what you can to help the other people. You serve the clients and you do the best you can in the service of your company and your agency. And for 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you're polite, upstanding, hardworking, have it together, and then you go home. And you know how you see yourself when you get home? You see yourself as polite, hardworking, helpful, all that. And it would never occur to you that you are irritable or mean or accusatory or selfish. It just doesn't occur to you. Why? Because those other 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you're out serving everybody and being really polite. And you just, you, you, it just doesn't occur to you. You ignore it or you excuse it, whatever your sins are. Everybody's like that. Everybody does it or everybody's like that. You know, we think, of, we think of language, we think of foul language, foul language, which is an abomination to God, really. The use of the tongue is supposed to build people up and edify, but the, just, just our speech can so easily be blasphemous, and we just say, everybody does it. What's that? That's an excuse. And... Um, or, or kids will say, well, they'll laugh at me if I don't do this. You know, dad says, why did you do that? And the kid says, well, they were going to laugh at me if I didn't. See, that's an excuse. 
And I'm so good at making excuses. Or I shift the blame. Listen, I can call you all kinds of nasty names. I can actually be aggressive against you. I could even be violent against you and hit you and excuse it all because you sinned first. I just did it because of what you did. And that's called excuse-making. And who's the father of excuse-making? Adam in the Garden of Eden. Remember after Adam ate the apple? And God comes to Adam, and He says, Adam, did you do this? And what, did, what were Adam's first words? The woman you gave me, she gave me the apple, and I ate. So God goes to the woman. Remember that? And He says, is, is that what happened? And what did Eve say? The serpent He gave me. I mean, we're just so quick. You and I were so quick to shift the blame to excuse or to ignore our sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Jerry Bridges wrote this interesting book called Respectable Sins. It's sold a bunch of copies. Now, I, I'm fortunate enough to be a personal friend of Jerry Bridges and six years ago, five years ago, he wrote me a letter. He said, John, I'm writing a book about sins in the church that have become respectable. And I'm just polling a few of my friends, and um, I'm just trying to make a list. Would you send me a list? <laughs> so I told him about all your sins, uh, in, in, and, and, and they're in this book. No, 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 no. They're in this book. But, but the, our, men's, our men's group on Tuesday night read through this book out loud together, and we talked. Believe me, I didn't tell him your sins. But, but there's a compilation of sins like jealousy, anger, pride, ingratitude, judgmentalism, acceptable sins that are not the technicolor sins that you see on television, but just those deep cancers of the soul. And the church just, you know, tends to say, well, that's the way it is, gossip and judgmentalism. And I want to ask you this. If I gossip about you, if I, if I just say something that makes you look bad in someone else's eyes, have I sinned? What do you think? I have sinned against God and against you. If I have a bitter resentment in my soul that runs with a deep curse toward you because of something you've done or said, and that, that bitterness is there festering. Am I sinning? What do you think? I am. Am I not? When I'm stingy with my money, and I won't share it and use it to bless the kingdom of God, because it's my money. I earned it. Am I sinning? I'm sinning against God and His people. Now, we're talking about being in the light, and it's right at this point where I have my friend here, the spotlight. Last week, we saw that walking in the light is a really wonderful thing. Walking in the light is so cool. 
and uh, Christians walk in the light. I'm sorry, I don't want to hurt your eyes here, but you walk in the light, and it's a wonderful thing because when you walk in the light, we saw you don't trip over, over a root or you don't walk over the cliff. The light is a good place to be until, Austin, you can stand up. And there's Austin. The light is on Austin. And what happens in the light is when it also exposes your sin. You can do two things. What's the first thing you can do, Austin? Yeah, he crawls under the pew. But come back, Austin. What's the second thing you can do? You can stay in the light. You don't dodge the light. You let it shine on you. Thank you. You let it shine on you. And you put off the excuse-making, and you stop ignoring it, and you don't shift the blame. We call it owning my sin. I own it. King David says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. And that becomes your prayer, standing in the light. In your program this morning, I have this amazing quote from Dostoevsky, from the brothers Karamazov. I want you to take this home and, and let God do some business with you. And Dostoevsky writes, the important thing is to stop lying to yourself. A man who lies to himself and believes his own lies becomes unable to recognize truth either in himself or in anyone. So that's point number two. Bad news, right? Bad, okay. It's bad news and it's really bad news. And the wages of sin is death. It's clear. The wages of sin is death. Adam, the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely, you know how it ends, you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God. So that's the bad news. But point number three, if you sense the bad news, what do you do? If you realize or experience the conviction of sin, how do you respond? And this is the good news right there in verse 9. And I'm so glad this is packed right into these few verses here. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the first part of this is you just confess your sins. And the word in the Greek language literally means to agree with, to agree with God. And when Nina and I have a fight over one of my sins, well, it's not a fight, when we have a disagreement about one of my sins, when the sin finally is exposed, there is no resolution until I say, you know, you're right. I agree with you. I think now I'm seeing it the way you're seeing it. And when Nina and I have a disagreement about one of her sins and struggles and maybe she's hurt me, that never gets resolved until she finally says, you know, you're right. I agree with you. I think I'm now seeing it the way you see it. 
To confess literally means to agree with God about the nature of your transgression, okay? That's what the word means. And so, he says, if we confess our sins, and this is huge because there is that battle in our hearts at that very point. Now, someone, someone who's been going to church for a long time says, yes, yes, pastor, but I'm confused about this. If my sins are forgiven in Jesus, why do I need to confess them? Okay, is that a question that might come to your mind? If I've already been forgiven, why do I still confess them? And John is saying here, if you don't confess your sins as you discover them, you're really still deceived and you're not knowing or practicing the truth. Listen to me very carefully here. Really important. When a person becomes a Christian, their guilt is entirely swept away. Unquestionably, eternally, your sins are washed away at the cross. And when you by faith are united to Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection, you are made alive and you are born again and you will live forever. And when you pass through the death in this life, you will enter into glory. Because Christ will carry you through that judgment day. Your sins are completely forgiven in Him. But that does not mean that all your sins have immediately stopped functioning in your heart and your life. And in the Christian life is a process of sanctification, of being set apart for God, the putting off of the old man and clothing yourself with Christ and putting on the new in the attitudes of your mind and in the speech that you speak and the way you act. And it's that long-term process. And that is the putting off the old man and putting on the new. And that process continues your whole life. And, and think of the godliest Christian you know, people that you, you know, look up to, people like St. Augustine, people like John Bunyan, like the great missionary Elizabeth Elliot or Amy Carmichael, of Johnny Erickson. Think of Billy Graham, all these, these wonderful people, and we put them up on pedestals. Do you know that every one of them lived, that lives their life and lived their life with a deep sense of their own sinfulness? Every one of them. You read what they wrote. Martin Luther and like King David said, my sin is always before me. If you stop confessing your sins, John tells us, you will soon stop turning to Christ. Why? Because you won't need Christ. You won't need Him. And once you don't need Him, your view of Him will drop, will lower, it will evaporate. It's just what happens. And in fact, we saw this last week. That's why John is very concerned about all those so-called sinless, people claiming to be sinless in the church. That's why he thinks there's such a danger to the church, and he calls them liars. He's so upset about those people who make that claim and can't, can't be honest. I love the story of Charles Spurgeon who said, there's a woman in my church who claims to be sinless. That is, she is now past all her sins, and she said she held to that conviction until someone stepped on her toe. 
And then her sinlessness evaporated like the morning dew, he said with a smile. We confess our sins. And then something happens. What happens is that we are, we're walking in the light and Christ comes and does something for us. Who do you confess to? You don't have to confess to me. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to sit in a box and talk to another man. Why? Because another man can't give you absolution. Another person can't tell you, I forgive your sins. Who do you go to? You confess to God. You confess your sins to God. You name them to God. You agree with God. But that being said, you still need someone else with you in this courtroom, in this legal transaction that is happening here. Who do you need? What you need, the Bible says in this verse, is a good attorney. I'll give you dads, moms, a little secret for your parenting. I've told my children how much I love them, and I'm always going to be there for them. But I said, if you ever get arrested, the first call, not to me. I gave him a card. Here's the lawyer I want you to call. You call the attorney, and don't say anything till he gets there. I'm not telling them to lie, you know, but just chill out. If you get arrested, find a good lawyer. You'll need that lawyer there with you. Because who knows what's going to happen. You might think I'm a good parent or a bad parent. I want to be the second call. You tell the lawyer to call me then. But why? You need an advocate. You need an advocate with the Father. Who will do this for you? Aha! There we go. I was down in Atlanta, uh, in Memphis. Uh, You know, every billboard on every major highway is for a, a lawyer. You know, if you slip and fall, if you're in a fender bender, the first thing you do is call me, I fight, I win. One call, that's all. There's hundreds of these billboards. Who is your advocate? Not him. Jesus Christ is your advocate with the Father. And the Word is a legal word. And you need Him to be with you there in the courtroom of holiness. This guy says, I get results. Let me tell you who gets results. Jesus Christ gets results. What can He do? We're told in verse 1 of chapter 2, it's right there, He speaks to the Father in our defense And notice that John, the great apostle, includes himself here. He says, in our defense. John is saying, I'm one of you. I'm one of us. I need that advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous also. And Romans 8.34, that Christ makes intercession for us. He also says the Holy Spirit groans and intercedes for us. And the idea is, I don't plead for myself. Someone else is making the plea on my behalf, and it's Jesus Christ. And how is He described? It's one of the adjectives that John often used to describe Jesus. What's the word? Righteous. I have a righteous advocate. I have a righteous attorney who presents me to the Father, and He pleads His own righteousness before God. 
And even more than that then, so now He speaks, but even more than that, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So you have this progress in this transaction. The advocate gets there, and He speaks to the Father. But notice, He doesn't say to the Father, well, you know, there's really not enough evidence to convict Him. You know, we're going to throw that evidence out. He doesn't do that. In fact, you've already confessed. You've already confessed. So, he's not saying, well, we're not finding enough evidence to convict him. No, he is doing something instead. He is saying, we will take care of this another way. I will pay the penalty. I will pay the fine. And this is, there's such debate now about how to translate this word. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And in our version says the atoning sacrifice. I think that's a pretty good definition. The King James Version says He is the propitiation for our sins. When's the last time you used the word propitiation? You know it's a very important word. And they didn't use it in the NIV because nobody uses it anymore, but it's a much better word than atoning sacrifice. Because the idea that Jesus is my atoning sacrifice is wonderful. It means, yeah, He actually paid the sins, and so, so my sins are paid for by Him. But the word propitiation for the Greek word hilasmos here, propitiation means not only did He pay the penalty, but He satisfied the judge, so the judge no longer frowns, but the judge now smiles. Listen to me. I would be very happy just to know my sins are forgiven. Whew. But some of you think that, yeah, your sins are forgiven, but God is still up there, and He is really annoyed. Yeah, okay, you got away from it this time. Some of you think that's how God looks at you. Yeah, your sins are paid for, but God's still annoyed. I'm not suggesting God is a white male, okay? That just was a good picture that I found. The scowl, the severe, He's still ticked off. He's still annoyed with you. Is that how, what you think? The word propitiation means that God smiles. Okay, another white male. But here's the point. He still, He is now smiling at you. Do you know Zephaniah 3.18? The Lord your God is in your midst, and He rejoices over you with singing. Did you know that? God delights in His people. He delights in you. Jesus Christ has done two things in His propitiation. He has, he has paid the penalty in full. And He has brought the smile of God back onto you. Listen, how do, how do you explain this? If you're in an accident and your arm gets cut off, you are given compensation for your pain and your suffering, and you might win an award for several million dollars on that, but that award is payment, but it will never give you your arm back. And every day that you see the lost arm, it aches inside your heart. 
propitiation would be you're not only paid for that, but you get a new arm and you are happy with the new arm. You see, it's the, it's the bigger satisfaction. That's what this word means. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. He is faithful. It says He is faithful and just. Psalm 130, verse 8, is a prophecy. It is looking forward. David is in deep distress. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. And then he erupts and he says, Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He Himself, listen to this, last phrase of Psalm 130, He Himself will deliver Israel from all her sins. There it is. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the fulfillment of that. He delivered His people from all their sins. And He says, you don't, not just his, you don't just have to be a Jew, He says. This is startling to them. But all over the world, there are people now who are His people. And you can be in Africa. You can be in Russia. You can be in the United States or in Canada. You can be anywhere in the world, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world now, the atoning work of Jesus Christ includes you among the people of God, you who believe in Him. So, do you agree with the bad news? I'm not going to turn the spotlight on again, but if you're walking in the light, you're going to agree with God, and you're going to learn to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and test my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. You see, that's, that should be the natural prayer of the Christian, inviting God to shine the light. And like the cockroaches that scurry when the light comes on, so your sins come before you and you confess them. But then, do you celebrate and participate in the good news? You can't stop. You can't stop at the bad news. What a terrible place to be, church. What a terrible place to be. So now you go with your advocate, with the best attorney in the world, Jesus Christ, who will speak to the Father on your behalf and who is the propitiation, the full satisfaction that also turns the smile of God back on you. Oh, oh. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the day to do it. This is the day to say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I now know I need a lawyer better than the guy on the billboard. I need Jesus. And today is the day for you to own Him as your Lord and Savior. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, today I'm doing business with Jesus Christ, he is, I am His and He is mine, and I come to God by the blood? Have you ever done that? If you haven't, or if you've been reluctant or resistant, today's the day. Hear His voice. He's speaking to you. Do not be ashamed of Him. He will not be ashamed of you. Cover yourself in the atoning work of Christ. But... Suppose you, you are a Christian, then let me teach you a phrase you should never forget. It's this, the present value of the blood of Christ. 
the present value of the blood of Christ for the Christian. That is to say, even today, today His blood is precious for me. His propitiation is good for me. And I enjoy that present value every day that, make, that reminds me of His love and His smile. And that's why we sing, I come by the blood, I come by the cross, where your mercy flows through hands pierced for me. For I dare not stand on my righteousness. My only hope rests on what Christ has done, and I come by the blood. Let's pray together. Our Father, we believe that you are faithful, and we believe that you are just. We believe that you are satisfied by our advocate. He does get results with you. He speaks to you on our behalf. And he says, forgive them and set your smile upon them. Though you are just, receive me and my sacrifice as the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. Receive me. Jesus says, and the Father, the Father is faithful. Lord, there's someone here today, I'm sure, who is saying, this is the day. I'm going to mark it in my calendar. This is the day that I trusted in the Lamb of God as my Savior. And we just pray for them, that you would bless them with peace. You would lift the guilt from them that you would set them on an exciting road of a new life, putting off the old man and putting on the new. And the rest of us, Lord, we just thank you so much for that present value of the blood of Christ for us. We are acceptable to you, and your smile is on us. And you are pleased, even though the angels cannot bear to look at you, we are, we are safe in your presence. Thank you. Your smile is on us. And we are glad in Jesus' name. Amen.